What's up, Active Lifers? Welcome back to the Active Life Podcast. I'm Dr. Sean Pastuch. I'm your host. And today is a bonus episode. And be on the lookout. I'm going to be dropping a lot more bonus episode content right here in the immediate future. I've been thinking about how to get more out to you. And I just decided that I'm going to forego a lot of the bells and whistles that are on our primary podcast that drops every Monday and provide you with some of the stuff that I think is really valuable from an informative perspective that um, we just don't have the bandwidth to produce in the way that I would like to. So I'm going to provide you with content more regularly to keep you informed, to upskill your education around what's going on in the fitness and healthcare industries, give you more insight to the problems that truly do exist that need solving, arm you with the ability to be a force for change in solving some of them. And most importantly, empower you to live a life that is fulfilling, active, and unlimited by the way that your body looks, feels, or performs, and the way that your business operates. That's my goal. So let me know how I'm doing. If I'm doing a good job already, if I'm already doing a good job for you, head to wherever you're listening to podcasts and drop that five-star review for me, please. It really helps to grow the show and the growth of the show. If your life is better, imagine if everybody around you's life was better. How much better, better would your life be? It'd be a lot better, better. So share it. Go ahead and rate it. That's going to help us grow and things get better when we grow. All right. Today, I want to speak to you about some of the problems that we face in the industry and, and describe to you some of the ways I believe that we need to overcome them. I'm going to give you some basic statistics that should be revelatory for you as soon as you hear them. According to URSA, the International Health and Racket Sports Association, which is, is or was the largest organization of big box gym owners in the world. In the year 2000, there were about 30 million Americans who had a gym membership, who were actively paying membership to be at a gym in the year 2000. By the year 2019, there were 65 million people who were paying to be a member of a gym. We should give ourselves a round of applause. We more than doubled the number of people who were actively participating in the gym on a regular basis. I don't care how we measure it, that's outstanding. So good job for us. Now I want to correlate that with two other statistics. In the year 2000, according to the CDC, the obesity rate amongst Americans was 30.5% for adults over the age of 20. By the year 2018, remember, by this point, the number of people in the gym had doubled. So you would expect the obesity rate to go down. But the exact opposite thing happened. We went from 30.5% of our population being obese, suffering from obesity, to 42.4% of our population suffering from obesity. To compound that, in the year 2000, 4.7% of our population was suffering from obesity that was severe. So severe obesity is going to be another way of describing what's called morbid obesity, which is a, a measure that effectively says people who are 
at a much greater risk for for disease and death. Okay, to give you some quantification, obesity was three quarters of the BMI that severe obesity was as it's calculated by the CDC. And BMI, while imperfect, body mass index, is a way to measure um, how much of people's body weight to height ratio is appropriate. So they consider 30 as a BMI to be obese, and they consider 40 to be severely obese. In the year 2000, 4.7% of Americans were suffering from severe obesity. By the year 2018, again, we had doubled the number of people in the gym. Doubled. 9.2% of Americans were suffering from severe obesity. I want to repeat that for you. In the year 2000, 4.7% of Americans were suffering from severe obesity. And 30 million Americans were in the gym. In the year, 2000, in the year 2018... 9.2% of Americans were suffering from severe obesity. Almost double. 0.2% shy of double. While 60 to 65 million people were in the gym. Double the number of people. Think about that. Raw obesity increased by 12.4% or a 34%, 35% aggregate over what existed before. We started at 30% in the year 2000. Now we're at 42.4% by the year 2018. While gyms doubled, how do we get fatter as a country by a metric of 33%, 35% fatter 12.4% raw gross population growth in obesity suffrage while gyms double. How do we go from 4.7% of the population suffering from severe obesity to 9.2% of the population suffering from severe obesity in the same time span the gym membership doubled from 30 million to 60 to 65 million. The reason I'm saying 60 to 65 is because the math on 65 million was 2019, and I'm talking about math here in 2018. I don't have math on 2018 from MRSA. That's alarming. To me, this is alarming because the entire fitness industry is meant to serve people who are suffering from these kinds of issues. Now, if we want to add to that, think about the phone you were using in the year 2000 and what it could do. Think about it. I remember mine. It was a Panasonic that looked like a walkie-talkie. The cool thing about it is I could have a green background or an orange background behind the numbers and the contact name. <coughs> but if I wanted to text somebody... And I was going to write, for example, the letter C. I had to type 111, and then a C would come up. If I wanted to type an A, I just had to push one one time. You remember those phones. <coughs> Excuse me, wrong pipe on the drink there. That's what we were doing in the year 2000 from a technology perspective. There was no Instagram. There was no Facebook. There was no 
age of the internet where information was proliferating at the rate that it is right now. So that means people had access to less information <clears throat> and they were healthier. Less than half the number of people who are in the gym now were in the gym then and we were healthier. How does that happen? Somebody help me with this. How does that happen? I'll share where I believe some of that happens. The incentive to being great in the fitness industry is low. The average pay of a fitness coach, according to the, the, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, excuse me, struggling with my words today now, first wrong throat, now wrong words. The Bureau of Labor Statistics, which is where the United States tracks um, job statistics, income, hours worked, education needed, all those kinds of things. They indicate that the average hourly pay of a fitness coach is $19. $19 an hour. For perspective, if you're working 40-hour weeks, which we all know is unsustainable in the fitness industry, you're Average person's making $40,000 annually. Those are 40-hour work weeks, 52, hour week, 52 weeks a year. Anyone who has coached a fitness class or done a personal training session knows 40 a week ain't happening. Not for more than like a month. So that's, that's it's not happening. So what's the incentive <laughs> why Why become great? Getting into the industry is as easy as taking a test out of a textbook. It could take you three hours to become a fitness coach. Three hours. Three hours. You have to go to school for a thousand hours, cutting hair, doing makeup, and all those sorts of things to even sit for the licensing exam for cosmetology. So to cut hair, do makeup, and apply lotions, you need a 1,000 hours of experiential education, on-site, watched by a professional. Then you can sit for the test. For a fitness professional, you might need three total hours, including the test. No oversight. And then the average pay afterwards is $19 an hour. And the people who are making the most money in the fitness industry are the people who are the most charismatic and the most able to garner attention on social media platforms. With the exception being uh, the exceptional. And the word is, is perfectly used in this case. 0.01%, I made that number up, of... People who are just making it on merit. Who are able to make a real living and don't even have a social media account. Don't market at all. Their clients just keep on referring people in the door for them. I can tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt, if, if it weren't for Active Life, uh, that's who Larry would be. You've heard Larry on this podcast before. If you haven't, it means you're new here and you will. Um, if Larry didn't have active life, he would be in the 0.01% of trainers who are making um, $100,000 a year plus, maybe even two, without having the first clue how to market. 
because he's that good. And he's that good because he cares that much. And when I say he cares that much, I mean he puts significant effort into continued development. He de- he spends money on his continued development, not because he believes that that development is going to provide him a financial return, but because he believes that the clients he has deserve it and the clients he hasn't been able to serve yet need him to get that education to be able to serve them. And until he gets it, he won't be able to help them. And so they will be left out. That's why he does it. He doesn't do, I promise you, I've never seen him do, and I know him now for six years really, really well. I've never seen him do a financial ROI equation on professional or personal development. He just goes and pursues it because he thinks it's worth it to have. And he's not collecting certificates. So all that to say, that's a rarity. It's a rarity. And there isn't incentive to be great because the gap between being okay or even inadequate, but with a certificate to being able to do what Larry does could take a decade for somebody of, in, of intentional work. And you got to be able to stick around in the industry the whole time while you cut those teeth and develop those skills to be able to be that good, to garner that kind of income. But if you can get great online really quick without developing any real skills, you can start to attract clients and earn real money. So where is the incentive? Is the incentive to be great and deliver really meaningful service or is the incentive to become really good at attracting people to enroll with you and be able to sell them service? Obviously, it's the latter. Our problem with America's chronic disease issues, the obesity, the diabetes, the cardiovascular disease, is an education problem. And everybody wants to make it out to be a commitment problem, an effort problem for the person suffering from those diseases. That's not the case. There are exceptions to every rule. But generally speaking, that's not the case. The diabetes epidemic the obesity epidemic, the childhood obesity epidemic. Think about that, because we can go to that in a second. The heart disease epidemic. We don't even we don't even think about these things as epidemic anymore because they're really endemic. We just learned to live with them. They are all education problems. People don't know better. And then the fitness industry is, is led at the top by these certifying bodies who are providing cheap, quick, easy access to make a great income doing fulfilling work, changing people's lives. It would be great if it was true. It would be great if it was true. But all we need to do is look at the statistical lines. The number one thing that any fitness pro would tell you uh, is a problem that people join their gym for or their coaching business for is they want to lose weight. Well, then how did we become 35% more obese and almost twice more morbidly obese 
in the same time span that twice as many people found their way into the gym. How did that happen? How did that happen when every online business in the health and fitness space that you can name today started between the year 2000 and 2020 or 2000 and now? So not only did we double gym membership, but we added an entire new opportunity, the online fitness boom. And we're fatter, we're sicker than we've ever been. How is that possible if the services being offered are so valuable? <clears throat> the fitness professional, meaning the gym owner, the coach, the trainer, have been bamboozled by companies who want to give them the quick dopamine bust, burst, whatever you call it, of a minimum level of education to tell them that they are now free to go do God's work. And when they set out to do it, they have no idea how to start. The next thing that they do is they reach out to a mentor who tells them that they have all the skills that they need except the business ones and they're going to teach them those. And then they go out and they forget about why they got into the business in the first place and they start pursuing money for the sake of money so that they can stay in the business. They love helping people. It's why people get into coaching. It's why people get into gym ownership. They can't imagine sitting in a cubicle, punching numbers, working for the sake of money. They can't imagine that. So they get into health and fitness. And then what happens? Health and fitness becomes about money. Because without money, they can't stay in business. And without being in business, they can't help people. And the reason why they need money is because they weren't helping people as much as they knew that they wanted to and thought that they could in the very beginning. And then they, when they go to get the help, they're not getting help to help people. They're getting help to make money which is not the same thing. If the focus is on money creation, then you'll find a way to make some more money for a period of time. But you won't necessarily make your services any better. If the focus is on making your services better, you'll make more money and you'll have better services and it will be sustainable. But the industry isn't set up with basic incentives that way. And so despite the doubling of the fitness industry in person and the exponential boom of the industry online, we're twice as fat, we're twice as sick as we were 20 years ago. How does that happen if the industry is providing the value it purports to? It's not. So here's how we solve it few things that need to happen. The first thing is I want you to try an experiment just so that you can know that what I'm saying is true. I want you to call every gym in your town and I want you to tell them that you're calling because you need to lose 100 pounds and you want to know if they think they can help you do it. And I want you to pay attention to how many of them ask you questions before they tell you yes. 
And I want you to hear how many of them tell you yes without asking questions. It's not because they know that they can't and they're selling you anyway. It's because they all think that they can. And they all think that they can because most of them probably have for somebody once. And so they think everybody like that person is going to get that person's results. And when I say like that person, I mean 100 pounds overweight. But what they don't know that they don't know is that each person has a litany of factors that lead to the likelihood or lack thereof of them being successful in any given system. And it's those factors that need to be mined for before any business takes anybody on to be a client with the promise that they're going to be able to help them solve the problem. Alternatively, a reasonable thing for businesses to do is to say, we're not sure, but we think it would be worth trying. Here's what we would do. Does this sound like something that you would like? Now it's the client's decision. That's a fair, that's a fair offer. So number one, you're going to call the gyms in your town. You're going to tell me you want to lose 100 pounds. You're going to find out if they all think that they can help you or not. And you're going to learn something. The next thing that we need to do is we need to, as a professional community, I'm going to give both sides of this, start to draw the lines of who we are highly likely to be able to help both on the high need side and the low need side. So for example, you can't help somebody in a coma and with rare exception, you can't help a professional baseball player get better at throwing a fastball. Okay. You're not specialized enough for either of those. So if we take the person in the coma and we start to advance them to the person when we say, okay, at that point of functionality, yes, I can help them. Write that down. That's the beginning of what we call possible, which means someone like that who walks into your business or wants to work with you may be able to get the help. Do the same thing backing down from the professional baseball player who wants to increase their fastball to someone who is, you know, whatever level of recreationally healthy and fit and athletic and competitive that you want to say, you're capable of helping completely. Those are your possibles. Now, keep on inching your way towards the, towards the, the ideal client who you really are a service for and figure out when does it become really likely? Like it would be hard for this person to not get the results that they want here following our process without the caveat that they need to be highly coachable and come on a regular basis. Those are givens. So it doesn't matter how coachable um, whoever won the Cy Young in professional baseball, the best pitcher in baseball was last year, how coachable they are. You're not fit to help them. And it doesn't matter how coachable the person in the coma would be if they were out of it. You're not fit to help them either. So assume they're coachable and they're committed. Find highly probable. Focus all of your process and all of your service and all of your marketing on that person. That's how we solve it at the gym level. And when people come and ask, can I get help here? You let them know, maybe, maybe. Uh, this is who we believe is possible for. This is who we believe it's likely for. You fall somewhere between possible and likely. Is this something that you think you would enjoy doing? 
and give them the honest clarity. If they say no, help them find someone in your town who can. Be a source for good for that person and for your society locally. If they fall right into your wheelhouse, sign them up. Don't let them leave. Now for the individual, the person who is going to be seeking this kind of help, go into the gyms or call the gyms and ask them why you shouldn't enroll. Ask them who's not a fit. Ask them the same questions I just asked gym owners and coaches to ask themselves. For whom is it possible and for whom is it likely that you're able to help? Have you, who do you guys think it's possible for? And, and when, you know, when does it become likely that someone's going to get what they need from you? Like there's got to be a range, right? Like people who you might be able to help, who you've helped before. And then people who like when they show up like this, you can help them every single time. Who are they? They're oftentimes going to tell you that it's the person who's committed and coachable and ready to do hard work. Fine. Tell them what if everybody was. If they say they think they can help everybody, then they haven't done the work. That's okay. It doesn't make them bad people. They haven't listened to this podcast. Send it to them. Um, find the person who sounds most self-aware. Sign up with them. That's how you do it. Here's another thing that I believe the fitness industry could do to um, really start to help our, our society and be more valuable. Give away education not information. Giving away information is confusing on purpose. It's everything that we do is online and available. Um, just go ahead and look for it. That's free. It's me teaching you how to do it all in order that costs you money. Okay. Well, give it away in order. Start giving it all away in order. I don't even know the, the website. I should know it. I should put it in the show notes for this, but... Whatever. I don't know it yet. Because we're in the process right now of building open source education that's going to live on, I guess it'll be Active Life Professional actually, activelifeprofessional.com as soon as our new website launches. That is education about how to navigate the fitness and the healthcare industry, how to exercise, how to think, how to breathe, all of it for free for anybody. You don't have to be a client. It is health and fitness education that we would use to help a client in the very order that we would use it to help a client. So you don't have to be a client to get the information or the education. All you're signing up for support for is the, the implementation of it. What about this little thing that makes me unique and... I don't know how to apply that thing and all of that. That's what you would be buying a coach for. But somebody who wants to learn the basics of fitness education, health education, is going to be able to get it at activeliteprofessional.com absolutely free. I would love to challenge the rest of the fitness industry to do the same thing. I would love to challenge you to build a robust library of content that makes it so that the person who needs your help but isn't ready to buy it yet because they don't trust you, they can't afford it, whatever it might be, can learn to trust you and decide to afford it by consuming enough of your content that you help them improve their lives without taking a dollar. Just put it out. 
we're not going to open up with a comprehensive library. We're going to open up with the basics and we're going to add to it over time. And by the end of 2023, I expect it to be the most robust library of content to teach somebody how to navigate a fitness lifestyle, an active lifestyle in the world. And it should be free, including programs to follow, including programs to follow. In the year 2000, half as many people were in gyms and nobody was buying fitness online. And 35% fewer people were obese. And less than half the volume of people of today were suffering from morbid or severe obesity. We have a problem. And there are solutions. We simply need to choose to execute them. See you in our next episode. Turn pro.